0: Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out.
1: Head to to HowToSplitAToaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, Ask Seth and Pete,
0: close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself.
1: At this point, we're just testing it to know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website. We need your help for that we need you to ask a lot of questions
0: so head to how to split a toaster.com and click the box ask zeth and pete the robots will do the rest on with the show welcome to how to split a toaster a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from true story fm today we're indulging our inner superfan it's celebrity toaster week
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. We're joined today by Randall Kessler. He's represented some of the highest profile clients in the country, including judges, national and local politicians, professional athletes, TV stars, and other celebrities, entertainers, and artists. He joins us today to talk about celebrity divorce and how representing celebrity compares to divorces of the unknown randall kessler welcome to the toaster thank you guys i
2: can't wait to uh i don't know if i can't wait to do this or to be done with it <laughs> <You> guys,
0: <laughs> I don't know, i'm a little bit nervous but you guys are great uh, we we can't either <laughs> No, man, you've been everywhere uh in, in your role. I wanna I I don't know. I unless Seth, unless you have the perfect starter question, I would like to start talking a little bit about publicity. Can we do that?
1: We can do that because I have one question and I think Randy's answer is gonna be one word, and then the podcast would be over. Oh. So maybe you should start.
0: Outstanding. All right. Well, then let's talk about publicity. Randy, I m my sense is that the, the the big difference between high-profile divorces and, you know, Joe, nobody's like me, is the public eye. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of skill set you had to develop as an attorney to help you manage media along with managing a divorce?
2: Yeah. And, I, and if you don't mind, Pete, I want to focus on the first part of your question, which is the one big differentiator, because you're right. People ask me, what is the difference between celebrity divorce and divorce? And really, it's divorce. It's sort of the same question I used to get when they allowed same-sex marriage all across the country. So, yeah. so what's the difference? What is same-sex divorce? And I said, you know what it's called? It's now called divorce. Same thing. So celebrities, they use the same rules. They use the same proceedings. Um, But like you asked me, what, you know, publicity. So we were talking before we started uh, this podcast about the private courtroom we built in our office. Um, privacy is paramount to a lot of people that are celebrities. And the issue of publicity comes up in a hundred different ways. Number one, is there value to the publicity? Number two, is there value to not having publicity? Number three, what do their public relations experts want? And most of them always want the the athlete or the high profile star to be in the public eye. And this is the one time where they don't want them in the public eye. And sometimes we wrestle with those publicists or those public uh people that that say, you know, we want to keep their name out there and we say, not here. You know, and a good example of this, some friends of mine represented uh, Katie Holmes against Tom Cruise. And they would not share with me in a million years any of the details. But what I know is the settlement value to Tom Cruise had to outweigh whatever he agreed to give his wife. In other words, any bad press that comes out of a divorce for big shots might end up costing them more in their career than it does in their marriage. You know, he, If he doesn't get another movie contract, for example, because something bad came out. And again, I don't know anything bad About Mr. Cruz. But for example, that case settled. Most cases settle. So, you know, and publicity rears its head in a hundred other ways. And I could talk for hours about what do you do when you get calls and how do you handle the press? But the answer to your question, Pete, is it's a skill I just developed over time. How do you handle the press? How do you deal with the press? How do you deal with your client's desire not to be in the press? Or sometimes the significant other wants to be in the press and you have to say, you'll get one shot. But the celebrity We'll get to talk to the press all they want, so their story will be out there much more than yours. Be very, very careful and strategic about ever going to the press. So there's a lot there, Pete, but I hope that that starts to touch the Tiffany. Well, eye it story. does.
0: It, it does because and I love the way you talk about it. Like the the, the big difference is it's divorce, but it, in my head, it's it's divorce with potentially you know more places in front of the decimal, right? Like it's just divorce with lots of, of zeros. True,
2: true. But but you know what, Pete? A lot of our people. A lot of the folks who represent are super wealthy. You've never heard of them. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That I've met people that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars that you and I would never know. They kept it quiet. They stayed under the radar. They're not on social media. Um, it's incredible to me. And And many of the celebrities that you would think are super wealthy, really, it's a show. And people like people that are rich. You want to believe that your favorite star hasn't lost all their money and knows how to handle their money. But a lot of them or not as well. So sometimes the world's upside down, but, uh, but that is the perception. You're right. Celebrities, you think about, oh, that's a high dollar case. And sometimes high profile doesn't equal high dollars.
1: And I would add to that Randy, and I'm sure you've had the same experience where I've had a potential client make a appointment, come in, in jeans and a t-shirt worth extraordinary amount of money. Then you have Three hours later, the guy that comes in in fancy, very expensive Italian suits with his initials on his shirt sleeve and brings out a checkbook that has a Louis Vuitton cover on it. And then you look at his financials and he has an extraordinary amount of debt.
2: It's You know what? There are, I could give you a hundred stories. I know you probably like some, so I'll give you one or two, but we represented a very famous hip hop guy and a producer and he, he made a lot of money we were at mediation until ten o'clock at night. I said, "Look, I just bought steak and sushi for the room for the other side, your your spouse, and everyone in their room wanted this food. So, what can I get you?" He said, "Double stuffed pizza, uh, cheese pizza crust from uh, Pizza Hut." I said, "Come on, I'm buying." He said, "Stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut—that's my thing. You know, could have afforded anything. Very happy with that." But and another guy who founded some of the biggest companies in the world—I had not heard of—came in, met with me for twenty minutes. Wrote me a check for twenty thousand dollars. I didn't know who he was. He, he found me on the internet. I would not have presumed that he was as wealthy as he was as he was. But um, you're right. First impressions and don't judge a book by its cover. The reasons those cliches stick around.
0: That's fascinating because I you know as much as we're talking about about money and the the value of identity in the divorce process. We're also, we have to be talking a little bit about the value of celebrity sort of authority, for lack of a better word, power in the divorce process. Uh, You know, how do high profile clients manage, or I should say, how do you manage them in the process of giving up control and power uh, in the divorce process, I I guess, in the guise of objectivity? Yeah, no,
2: no, it's a tough one because the world is on its head and it's not just celebrities. Yeah. You think of the typical, if you want to be stereotypical and and politically incorrect, the wage earning rich husband and the wife who doesn't do anything to earn money, but she's raised the children and done a lot for the family. That guy has always been in charge in a divorce. It's even, the playing field is even. And it's very difficult for those people that are used to being in charge and used to saying, I want this, make it happen. And they're used to telling lawyers what to do. They're used to telling their accountants what to do. And they have a lot of people that will say yes. It's hard. My job is to say no. My job is to say you can't do that because you do not want to be in front of a judge who will tell your spouse or your significant other that guess what? They're even in this discussion. They can get you to pay their whatever it is. Let's say the guy wants to give his wife, pay his wife $10,000 a month and go to court. The judge says, sir, you're going to pay your wife $5,000 a month. Just hearing that all of a sudden changes the dynamic and the wife now says I'm not afraid of court. I'm not afraid of my husband. There's somebody there that's not on his side, even if she gets less than what she wanted. So that, that's hard to prep you know, celebrity clients for the idea that you're going to have a judge that makes a lot less than you do, that sees a lot of people a lot poorer than you, and is not going to be really sympathetic to you at all, and might try to help the victim, the person who needs the court's help, because you're going to be just fine, ma'am or sir. So it, it's, it is a hard uh, psychological issue.
1: Along with that psychological issue, and Pete, we've talked about this before, and, and Randy, yeah. I, I, I would question you on whether you kind of share this with your clients. I frequently will tell them, you don't get your day in court. I I get your day in court. <laughs> and, and you are actually treated like a child. You sit there and you speak when spoken to, and it's usually just a question that you're supposed to answer And that is very humbling for people. If you want to talk about giving
2: up control, walk into a courtroom when you're the client. Yeah. You know, I I have a a PowerPoint. Sometimes I pull it out and show them. And I say, you know, here's one picture. I said, or I do it like this. Think of your craziest, most irrational friend or acquaintance person you knew growing up at high school. And then think of your your best friend that's rational and sane. You know, and you know which one you'd like to resolve the differences between you and your partner. But which one do you think is going to show up in court? Because you have no idea, right? It's a crapshoot. You can walk into court and you don't know who the judge is. You know, and sometimes I say, have you ever voted? Yes. Don't tell me who, but I know you can remember who you voted for for president, maybe for governor, maybe for mayor. You remember who you voted for, for judge, if your state has elections for judges? They have no clue. You know, you don't know who the judge is until it's too late. Yeah, I agree with you,
1: Seth. Yeah. And the other thing is... Uh, and, you know, I'm sure once again, you've been there, Randy, but I have been totally prepared to try a case and I prepare the same way I always prepare, but it's always good to know your judge. Yep. And then you walk into court and a different <laughs> judge walks in right? because the judge that is sitting in that division got moved to a different division children's were really sick they got a senior judge to come in and cover and you've prepped this whole case thinking oh i know how this judge thinks i've tried this issue in front of this judge 15 times
2: and then you've got somebody new amen that and it's you know again we we're talking earlier that's why we've done a lot of private judging we actually built this private courtroom in our office so you can have at least peace of mind that you know it's somebody reliable and also if you get a private judging um and again people have to be able to afford it but if you can afford a private judge, that judge is not going to say, Hurry up, I've got another case. If they're getting paid a few hundred dollars an hour, they'll actually listen. But you know, staff, Pete, when you're in court, judges have 10 or 15 cases waiting, whether it's that day or the next day. And you say, Judge, we can't finish today. We need to finish tomorrow. And the judge says, Well, I've got another case tomorrow and another one the next day. If you want to reset it or continue it, come back two months from now. So there are all those issues. And trying to tell a celebrity or famous person that the judge is more important than everybody else. You know, it's a hard concept to grasp until they've been there. And of course, then it's too late. And Pete, I love the
1: look on your face because, Randy, you might not know this, but Pete's a huge movie buff. So he thinks all cases get resolved in an hour and a half.
2: Uh, Wouldn't wouldn't (laughs) it be nice if we could have, you know, screenwriters do our our closings and our openings and then you watch those shows? I'm old. L.A. Law. You say, God, I want one of those writers to, to script my final closing remarks and get it down to 30 seconds. Ah, yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, To to this day, when I'm in the courtroom and and I make my key point in my head, I still hear dun dun dun. You know,
2: <laughs> so, we, have, we have jury trials in Georgia, and I did one, and I remember a guy wanted alimony, and he made 150 thousand a year. And I remember thinking of Alan McBeal. as I said to the jury, I was nodding my head. He wants alimony, ladies and gentlemen. He makes 150 thousand a year. That's a lot of money, and I was nodding my head, and they were nodding with me. I thought, man, if that was on TV, that was perfect. You know.
0: <laughs> That is amazing. I just can't, I like, I can't. A, I'm a huge, huge uh, movie buff and celebrity nerd. And uh, also, I can't imagine. Putting myself in the position of somebody like Tom Cruise going and sitting in, like, a, as you know, being to be treated like a child when all I really want to do as Tom Cruise is stand up and scream, the I truth. want the truth. Cause <laughs> I've been in that courtroom and I had to wear the bars on my shoulder to get it done. That, like, it must be enormously humbling to go through this process as a celebrity those lessons just those deep interpersonal lessons have to be staggering they
2: they can't handle the truth
0: right right, right. exactly so well especially to come to terms with what you've done in the marriage that is litigated in the divorce process or to
2: understand the law the fact whether you're a celebrity or not you know someone works their whole life and they build an income and an asset and they've got to divide that down the middle People don't understand that, and especially you know through these athletes. We had a jury trial. This athlete made $5 million during the marriage. Now, we all know during the marriage, what you earn is supposed to be divided pretty much evenly in most states. But in his case, I had to make this argument, and thank goodness we were successful, that he earned it during the marriage, but he's different. He's not going to keep making a few million dollars a year the rest of his life. That $5 million has to last him from age 29 to age 79 or until he gets to retirement. Um, but, you know, he walks into court treated like everyone else. And an impression for the judge or the jury is you earned that during the marriage. I had to split 50 50 with my wife. Why aren't you splitting it 50 50 with yours? And, you know, that's that's a tough, uh, tough dynamic, even for non-celebrities, but especially those who are used to saying, you know what, I want this, make it happen.
0: Are there are there courtrooms that are more or less sympathetic to celebrity cases? I mean, is do they do they are they sympathetic to those kinds of arguments? Does that? Exist? Yeah, if you go
2: to Beverly Hills, right? And you go to the courts yeah. in Beverly Hills; they've seen their fair share. But um, even then, you know, judges are human beings, and they, you know, yeah. people that want to be treated special have a hard time in front of judges, as uh, as you all know. Um, it's very very hard to walk in and have an entitlement complex. I think it, it doesn't really matter which court it is. I think it's up to the advocate. It's my job as a lawyer to say, Judge. Yes, this guy has $4 million left. He's a 32-year-old athlete, and I'm sorry, sir, but I'm going to tell the judge the truth. I don't think he's going to play next year. I don't think he's going to get picked up again, and if he does four more years, $4 million is not going to last him the rest of his life. Don't give her half of that because he's got more of an earning capacity in the future than he does, but it's how you argue it and how you present it, I think, more than to the judges.
1: And I think along with that, Randy, is – how is the judge perceiving your client through you telling the story through questions and answers? Because that's what happens in a courtroom. And that entitlement mantra, if that if that seeps out, you might as well just hang it up right there because and this will happen if if and just to not to be stereotypical, but for way of the concept and the example, if you have a stay at home mom, who got married at 30 and is now 40 and has been out of the workforce for eight years and is saying that, well, I want to keep raising my kids. And they're sitting in front of a female judge with small children who's working every day. And now you're asking for this big sum of money kind of saying, yeah, I could work a little bit, you know, but I don't really want to, or, you know, in, in, this is not Beverly Hills in where I practice, they call it the South Tampa lifestyle. And that is just a phrase that says, look at me, I don't have to work, I'm seeing, be seen, and I'm driving the fancy cars and eating lunch at the nice restaurants for an hour and a half. And that's a problem.
2: Let's let the public in on a little secret. So family law and most civil law really boils down to, in its simplest forms, two issues. One is we have to get the judge or the jury to like our clients, and then we have to tell the judge or jury what we'd like them to do for our clients. But it really is as simple as that. You want to help people you like. So if the judge likes you, sir, as my client or ma'am, then the judge will listen to what we're suggesting because they will think we are the reasonable people. We are offering solutions. We are likable. And they'll start to ignore the other side. That's 90% of it. And sometimes, try as we might, we can't make our clients likable. Sometimes people just can't control themselves, what they're going through. The divorce is so tough on them. They, they get an eye from the other side and they can't contain themselves. But uh, you're right, Seth, it's, if the judge doesn't like your side or is not sympathetic to your side, you can have the best lawyer, the best law, the best facts. You know, you're probably dead in the water.
1: And that starts at the very beginning because I've come onto cases and they the client says, well, this is what happened in court and this is the temporary order the judge gave. And I said, we've got a problem. This judge does not like you. That first impression was not good. And now I have to turn that around. That's going to be difficult,
2: but but the flip side, that, you know, back to um, I agree with that. Back to celebrities and, and publicity. Most of these folks that, that we don't represent all celebrities, maybe twenty to twenty five percent. We've got fifteen lawyers, so we obviously represent a lot of people that are not famous. But the famous ones, especially the athletes um, and, and the the recording artists, I don't want to say this in a bad way, you know, that they're trainable, but they're coachable. You know, they take advice from experts. They are used to being better when they listen to people that have been doing this before and so you know a lot of athletes will come in and say i want custody i've got money i'll pay you to get me custody i hear you're good at it i say that's that's not how it works if you're serious about it and you're in it for the long haul and uh, years not months or, or weeks um and some of them do and they say what do i need to do i say be the best parent you can be and let it show and guess what half the time the case is resolved because the other side realizes that they're a good parent and they share the children or the other, time, the other half of the time, they go to court, and the history, which we get to build in family law, is that they've been a good dad. You know, when you represent somebody in a car wreck case, death or whatever, um, one-time issue, the facts are established. Whatever happened that day, the murder happened. But in family law, we can say, Judge, yeah, they filed for divorce two years ago, but since then, let me show you what kind of parent my client's been. So we actually can have a really huge effect on our clients and on the outcome. And it doesn't feel dirty to me because all I'm doing is saying, be a good parent, be a nice person, cooperate. And maybe some of it sticks, even if they're doing it strategically. Um, and if it doesn't stick, then then things will change anyway. Joes will see through it.
0: By gum, they might actually realize it's fun being a good yeah. dad. And then it gets, and the other side starts to react differently, and all of a sudden, Pete, they
2: don't need more How drink. would you know that?
0: Wait a minute, Pete, how would you know that? I don't know, man. My kid's in the trunk of my car. Um. You guys are funny. I, that, was the, uh, that was actually one of the big questions we wanted to ask you is just how, how much does the celebrity, the, the fact that you're dealing with celebrities impact, you know, figuring out the kids? Is there any sort of sympathy to the celebrity, non-celebrity kind of power dynamic? But it, it sounds like, you know, they tend to be pretty amenable.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and one other factor is are they both celebrities? And often yeah. they both think they're celebrities. You know, sometimes the spouse thinks that they are as famous or they are an aspiring famous person. And that's, a, that's an issue. But sometimes, and this sounds terrible, sometimes it's a battle of who has the better nanny? Or who's better at managing the children when they're not with the nannies? It's a different dynamic, but you, you'll see. I mean, a lot of the celebrities that we've represented and, and some that we've opposed have been tremendous parents and have said, you know, my career will be put on hold. I will do whatever it takes. Um, and sometimes I have the difficult side. I have the, the spouse that's not famous that says, well, I'm going to win custody because he or she is off touring well, really, you know, you're still trying to run businesses and do things. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting when you see who puts their money where their mouth is. If you're interested in custody, you do what's good for your kids and your career from second. And if you're famous, you can get back to being famous. You can't get back to having your kid be five years old
1: again. That's right. And and I always, when I'm trying cases on whether it's because um, I've represented some athletes, um, I haven't had anyone in the music industry. But uh, I always tell people whether they're an athlete or whether they're, uh, like Pete said, just, a you know, running the mill kind of guy, you want to know what is important to somebody. You look at two things where they spend their money and where they spend their time.
2: True. And, uh, look, I know you're in Tampa. So, you know, when, um, when Tom or Giselle comes in, just uh, send the other one to me and we'll have fun. Exactly.
1: (laughs) That's the good thing about this, Pete. The divorce lawyers, there's two sides to the transaction. It's not like the state has the prosecution locked up. They're always going to be trying that case, right?
2: But you know what else is interesting, I think? And I I hope you find it interesting since I'm on your show. But with family law attorneys, we really have to get along because, like Seth just said, if I'm a defense lawyer, the prosecution's always trying to punish my guy or my woman. You know, there's, there, you get polarized. Insurance defense people think everyone's claiming fake injuries. But in family law, I represent the cheating SOB one day and Seth's got the nice victim wife that, that is innocent. And the next day they'll be representing the cheating spouse. And I've got the person who's been cheated on. So neither one of us can be holier than now and say, you always represent this kind of person. We have to, and we understand the position the other side then. So we communicate a little better, I think. And, a lot of other types of lawyers uh, or other practices.
1: What's even worse about that, Pete, and this has happened to me: the same day, the same judge, one case in the morning, one case in the afternoon. I argued both sides of the argument, <laughs> and and on the second one, the judge said, "Please approach the bench." Oh, and. We came up to the bench and there was the court, they said, it's okay to be off the record. And the other lawyer said, fine. So they stopped the court reporter and the judge said, I believed you this morning. (laughs) And I, and I told the judge, I don't build them. I just fly them, you know, but
2: (laughs) well, judge, you know, judge, you gotta be balanced. If you went one way this morning, you should should try to have an even record. (laughs) exactly it is true. so
1: i i do have a question about the publicity because we started with that and this is a good one about staying out of the media because i'm involved in a case now and we got calls from the media and we just didn't return them sure. and i joked with my child that oh you know because he gets a big kick out of it of i said i was in the new york post today and he went to look up the article. I'm like, you're not going to find my name. I'm just the lawyer that represents because I never yeah. even called back. <laughs> you know. Yep.
2: It's um. So the first step is how do you keep them out when they're really, really famous? We had recently a gigantic star, and the the debate is, if you file a motion to seal or some, you request confidentiality, then the antenna go up in the clerk's office and they look at it and leave it even tougher. And some of the celebrities, especially hip hop folks, have names that most people don't know. You know. When we were people, we know that whose names start with T or young or, or, or whatever, or big. that's not their real name. So, you know, so we always debate if they're going to find it, but I agree not responding. And sometimes it's hard not to respond, but if we're going to respond, we try to always get a joint statement. We ask the other side, if it's for the privacy of the children, I don't like the words, no comment, right? It sounds guilty. No comment is what you say. If you did something wrong, Right? Do we say for the sake of the family, can you keep it private? If we have to say something. But you know, the good lawyers, people know that you're the lawyer. They find out you're the lawyer. You don't need to go out there and say, look at me, I'm the lawyer for this client. We try very hard if we're going to say anything, that it's one thing, or we write something for them to say. Um, and that's what we get into with the PR people, because they always want to make their side look good, which is, we know it was going to cause a reaction from the other side, right? No matter what you say, mm-hmm. unless you compliment the other side. That's others. right. And I don't know if you feel this way, Seth, when you are in court, but I tell every client that's got a custody dispute, you know who comes out better? The parent who says the most nice things about the other side, as much as you don't like them, if if a judge hears that you're willing to compliment the other parent, the judge is going to be comfortable with the children spending time with you, maybe even being fully with you, because they know you're going to encourage and foster the love for the other parent, as opposed to the other person who's angry as hell, even if he or she deserves to be angry as hell, because they can't keep that out of their mouths, and they can't keep it away from the children. So um, keeping it neutral. and Thing out of the press or if it's going to be in the press a one minor um that's the tough one and then of course they have got people in their ear that say you can't let the other side talk about you you got to react you got to respond and, and we're trying to say what's more important how you perceive yourself or how the judge perceives you and um it's a hard conversation
0: i i just imagine there is a whole unique set of of tools that you're dealing with when it comes to especially these high profile cases, when you're talking about, you know, dealing with agents and assistants and publicists and all of these other people that you just don't have to to navigate. Uh, the The stereotype says that you're using, you know, if, I'm, if you're in a movie, I'm watching you use the media as another tool as, of leverage uh, in, in working with their team. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like that's uh, the reality at all.
2: There are actually ethical rules against that. You are not allowed under the ABA model rules and most state bar rules that do not allow you to use the media to try to influence the trier of fact, that means the judge or the jury. If you try to say something publicly to taint the jury or the judge, that's unethical. It may not be illegal, but the bar may have an issue with it. Um, but, but along those lines, we do things differently. And sometimes, you know, we draft a petition for divorce that says the marriage is broken. They're going to try to work it out. If you can't work it out, judge, you're going to have to decide custody sometimes when we know the media might get a hold of it we are so flowery with our language you know these parties expect fully that they're going to resolve it they've been able to resolve things for the you know and we go on and on We're, you know facious is that the word where you go overboard about how good the other side is because i don't want to hear the client call me and say you made it public that i hate him or her or that i think you know this marriage you know ended so you got to think about how you write things not because the judge is going to see it but how the, the press. You know what they do? They take one line out of your, you know, you, you, we, pray, we pray for relief. We say the prayers for relief. Well, sometimes they're going to get that wrong saying she's praying for custody. So we say in that case, maybe they're claiming or they would, they would assert a right to it because you're worried how the press is going to misread and misinterpret.
1: I always laugh whenever there is a Florida case and it hits the press. The one soundbite is they cite irreconcilable differences, right? That's the soundbite. It's in every single uh, a press. And here's why that's the soundbite, because under Florida law, Pete, you know what we're about to say. Check your local jurisdiction. Exactly. You're required to plead that there's irreconcilable differences to get a divorce. So when they say that, I always think to myself. And that's in every divorce petition that's ever been filed in the great state of Florida. <laughs> so what did you have
2: though, Randy? I got asked recently, um, you know, I represented Nick Gordon in a civil matter. He's the one who was Bobby Christina's boyfriend and, you know, Whitney Houston's daughter. And, the, and I did not do his criminal defense. And, um, but some, someone asked me and he's, he passed away. Um, and he never was charged with the murder, but Bobby Brown, Whitney's ex-husband, apparently was, uh, doing the interview, saying that he believes Nick Gordon caused it and did this and that. They asked me for my comments. I said, I'm not really going to give a comment. They said, will you say anything? And I thought I owed it to him, because I, I bonded with him, and I saw him troubled and how hurt he was, and he was devastated when, when Bobby died. So I said, she was his world. All I know is that he loved her. And the story was, Nick Gordon's lawyer defends him and says that he's not responsible. Nick Gordon's lawyer stands up to Bobby Brent. I didn't stand up to anybody. I just said, all I could see from what I saw is that he, he, he loved her and that was his whole world. That was, I think it was a two sentence. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, maybe I shouldn't, have, but I thought it's what he would have wanted me to say. And he, He's gone and I thought it was the right thing to do. But it was interesting, it taught me a lesson that my, step, my step-grandfather was a furrier in New Orleans and he used to say, measure twice, cut once. You know, so it's a good saying that I better remember. Measure a few times.
1: Remember, whenever you're talking to the press, you control what you say you don't control what they hear and you don't control what they print.
2: But, but on the, that's true. But if you know the press, and I'm lucky enough, I'm across the street from CNN, so I've done a lot with CNN. Once you get to know them, they're pretty trustworthy. The, the credible sources, you know, you can talk off the record and say, look, tell me what the article's about. You know, the ones that are trying to do the gotcha moment, and I don't want to name names, you know who they are. Um, but the credible news organizations, you can sort of talk to them and say, Tell me more what it's about, and I'll decide whether I want to do it. I, you know, we did a whole story. Um, it's publicly represented Reverend Warnock's uh, wife before he became senator. And we got so many calls, and we didn't talk to anybody. And we would talk to them, and we'd say, no, that's really, she doesn't want to be public like that. We, but we would at least listen. Um, and so, you know, do you even talk to the press? You know, I'm, I'm okay sometimes taking a call if it's an organization that I trust, as long as I know we're not talking yet. Because sometimes it helps my client. I want them to know, here's what the story is. Here's what they want to talk about. Just so you know, I don't think you should talk about it, but FYI. FYI.
1: And that's a good point because ultimately it's the client's decision.
0: We talk, uh, I don't imagine that, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is listening to this podcast. (laughs) And we know nothing. Uh, I know nothing
2: about his case and, and nothing but good things. Yeah,
0: right. No, no, no. I'm just I'm just saying in terms of uh, I, I think that uh, his representation is is probably taking care of it. And and maybe he doesn't need this podcast. But what I would uh, but I, what I do know is that the people who are listening to this podcast are, are people who uh, need some guidance and guidelines on how to manage their divorce process, how to get how to get the right kind of support. And I wonder if you could think for a minute uh, uh, about lessons you've learned from dealing with high-profile celebrity cases that you could translate into things that that would help everybody
2: yes and i know you're not we're not doing this to, to promote my book um and i don't make money on this book it's i think nine dollars on amazon or sixteen dollars if you get it and i'm if someone's really desperate and they write me a nice email i'll probably send it to them free i don't care it's, but it's called divorce protect yourself your kids in the future and i started it 25 years ago couldn't finish it represented a lady who wrote 100 books, made me finish it. And it's just sort of general ideas. And the, and the point is, whether you're a celebrity or not, have common sense. You know, it, it's think about it. Think about how do you resolve disputes between your kids or between friends? You know, who are you upset at? And it's like we talked about earlier you like the person that's nice and reasonable, and it's hard to be nice and reasonable. And God knows this litigation is fraught with emotion. You know, this is not like you're suing a doctor who cut off the wrong leg. And you'll never see this doctor again. You never saw him before or the cab driver that hits you. This is somebody who you married or had a baby with that you're going to know the rest of your life because you're co-parents and how you resolve the case to me is as important as um, what you get at the end of the case. And, and that's a hard lesson to teach people. Um, and one, one thing I try to do with folks, and this may, maybe not be exactly what you asked Pete, but it's sort of a small part. If you're the person on the side with the money, got the money, got the resources and you settle the case. When it's over, make a gesture. Why not say, I know we just went through this knockdown dragon, but I'd like to give you an extra $5,000 for your lower fees, or I'd like to make the last six payments on your car payment. I tell my clients that, and they are mad as hell when I tell them. They say, why should I do it? I say, well, aside from it being a nice thing to do, six months from now, when you're out of town at Disney World, and you say, honey, can I keep the kids an extra night? It's not my time. She says, what did you ever do for me? Uh Uh-huh. You never know. Goodwill goes around. And, and whatever you can do, just make a gesture. Do something nice for the person you've done battle with. And, and that joint public statement, if you're a celebrity, goes a long way, especially to the person who is no longer going, going to be a famous spouse, and they're no longer going to get into the same red carpet affairs. It's nice to leave it on a good note, and the famous person can it, it can change that person's world. The flip side of that is if you are soon to be the ex-mister or missus of the famous person, be nice because that person can open doors for you. You want contacts, you want to write a book, you want to do, you want to get um into a certain community or club or whatever. If you have a famous spouse, be nice to them because there are things they can do for you that other people can't, and they'll do it for you if you're nice to them. I mean, it's just human nature. You want to help your ex if you think they were nice to you. If you think they were mad and bad during the divorce, you're never gonna help them. So just celebrity or not. Be nice. As hard as it is, as angry as you are, no matter what they did to you, think about the long term.
1: I couldn't agree more with you, and I've given that exact advice, Randy. When people are are, let's say you're the spouse that wants to receive alimony, and one thing I said, be nice, and they'll say, "What do you mean?" And I said, "You're asking this person to give you money for ten years on a monthly basis." Right. Right. <laughs> If your goodwill goes a long uh, way, (laughs) (laughs) And, and I think under the law, you're entitled to it. But as you rightly say, I think how a case gets resolved is as important, if not more than the ultimate outcome. And I can tell you, we will go to trial on parenting plans and I'll run into that client five years later and they're not using the parenting plan that we went to trial on because they realized it didn't work and the kids are older and things have changed and we moved houses and now we have a step sibling and everything changes, but be nice and maybe you're going to get
2: something uh, in return. Because most cases don't go to trial. So instead of saying, what's the judge going to give me? How about what's my ex going to give me? People do things because they want to, not because they have to life and you got to make the other side want to not have to i'll, I'll show that i'll show him what a bad guy he was he's not going to say i'm a bad guy i'll pay you he's going to say he's being nice to me i'm happy to do this you're exactly right Seth. i couldn't agree more
0: I, I think that's incredibly grounding advice too right that it, this is uh, file this under we all put our pants on one leg at a time but the the, the idea of just being nice you know that just might get you your first alimony check it'll also get you the one 10 years down the road
1: and it's a whole lot easier to say than do let's not yeah yeah of course sugarcoat it right and and you you
0: know this why are
2: we telling them that they're paying us to go for blood they want us to go after everything i mean they they want you know what they want hanging on the wall they want you know some evidence that they you know really hurt the other side and that's what they're paying us for and here we are saying you know what i'm standing up for the other side is what it looks like to them and I'm not, I'm making sure that they know it's for them. But, you know, I'm paying you because I hear that you're going to, you know, beat him or her up. And, uh, and I say, well, that's not me. That's not us, but that's not how we get good results. Um, if, if the other side's a jerk, we'll do what we have to do. But right. And, and I
1: get that question all the time. They'll call and say, I want an aggressive lawyer. And I'll ask them, if you have your choice, an aggressive lawyer or effective lawyer, which one do you want to choose? they always choose effective. right? And sometimes you have to ask the tough questions. And if you have to hold people accountable by using the court system, but sometimes you can just be nice and you can be professional and you can set a hearing and we have difficult jobs and sometimes lawyers get heated between each other. And I've picked up the phone and said, Hey, look, that conversation with you didn't go as well as it should have. I was having a bad day. I apologize. And that's with the colleague who's on the other side, that that's almost better than never having a conflict because then they
2: realize that, it. that's why you're great. That's why this podcast is great. I mean, it's really, it's how you say things more than what you say. You know, you can say, you know, I'm going to kill you and rip your head off in a much nicer way. We're going to go to battle and it's going to be an effective decapitation, you know, <laughs> but right. it, you can say it in a nice way. And people will hear it differently. Um, but, it takes two to settle. It takes, it takes uh, one to make it go to court.
0: Uh, what do you think of the value of prenups? Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, the prenuptial agreement. Uh, it is another one of those uh, m- sort of m- movie tropes that I know of in all the divorce movies. How do you, how do you use, how do you think about uh, the prenup?
2: Well, there's prenups and then there's the, the, the high profile, the, you know, I'm going to pay you this much if I get caught doing this and that. and And we've done those. And Mm -hmm. lots of money where i say are you kidding and then they say well the amount of money i make i could stroke a check for this much and go have 10 affairs and it wouldn't bother me so there's all that but when it comes down to it prenup's a very personal thing i think there's some good reasons if you have gone through a tough ugly expensive divorce and you want to make sure it doesn't happen again if you have inherited a lot of property and you want your family to feel very comfortable that the person you're marrying is not in it for their money um if uh but but it depends. I, I mean, I tell the world, I, I didn't get married until I was in my 40s. I'd accumulated some, some modest wealth. I'd been a lawyer and had not had children yet. I didn't have a prenup. My wife had not been married. I trust her. Um, but I think it's a case-by-case. It's, a, case by case, it's it, But I think it's more important for celebrities because for a couple of reasons. Number one, people want to latch on to celebrities, and there are a lot of what we call gold diggers, right? But more importantly, um, for the families of the celebrities. Make sure that they know this person is not marrying their son, their nephew, their brother for the money. It shows them. Um, but the flip side is, and, and Seth's been there, sometimes you come out worse with a prenup than with a prenup. Some people are so vested in getting a document that they agree to pay more to the other side in the end of the divorce than the judge might have made him do. But they like to say, but I got a prenup, so you know she loves me for, my, for myself, not for my money. So it's, it's a unique skill. set, Right.
1: Because the assumption is they're going to ha- the assumption in the prenup is they're going to have the
2: money they have today or more. N- Nicholas, Nicholas say and Jessica Simpson, the prenup pretty much said that, you know, he keeps all his wealth and she keeps all hers. And he was the famous guy when they got divorced. Guess what? She was 10 times more famous. So that, and that's a hard one for lawyers too. They tell it, clients will call us and say, you made me guarantee her a million dollars, but now I'm broken. I still have to pay her a million dollars that, it's a hard one, you know. We lawyers are scared. Lawyers are afraid of prenups because so many things can change. Um, the, my favorite is just: you really want you keep what you had before the marriage. He or she keeps what she had before the marriage, and let's see what happens with the rest of it. Um, that, that, those are simple ones. Those, that's pretty much, much uh, what most state laws would do, even without a prenup.
0: I, I think you've just sort of explained something that was that was news to me. I thought the latter is what the prenup did, but guaranteeing this sort of uh, leveling indicator in terms of wealth going into and out of the marriage was sort of news to me. Why would they would have to pay each other anything? Uh, again, I'm the Joe Nobody on the show. So.
2: People will always say that prenup is unfair. And I say, you know what? They're supposed to be unfair. You know, The okay. prenup is to preserve that unfairness. Someone's rich coming in and you're married for 20 years, and they they want to leave, well, you got a 20-year ride in a good lifestyle, but that person doesn't want to give you the money for the rest of their life, and that's why they do a prenup, and you took that risk. So they can't be unconscionable. They can't be so crazy that the judge wouldn't enforce it, but it's to preserve that inequity. But generally speaking, in most states, if you have money before the marriage and you keep it separate, and you get divorced, that's generally yours. Courts you might be able to look at it to determine alimony or child support. Um, so that's the simple prenup. That I just want to make sure that the beach house that my family gave you know gave me when my grandparents died, that if I ever divorce it, that stays in my name. Those make yeah. sense.
0: Protected. Yeah. yeah. So it's Protected not so much assets, is a prenup fair,
2: and is, how do I feel about prenups? It's how do I feel about terrible prenups? I had a, a woman who was going to marry a guy twenty years ago. He said under no circumstances will she ever get more than one hundred thousand dollars, and his family had lots and lots of money. And so we started off, what if they're married 10 years? No. What if they're married 20 years? Will you get rid of that limit? What if they have kids together? No. What if they have grandkids together? No. It would never. He would never, ever agree to pay her more than $100,000. She didn't marry him. You know, good for her. I, she had the guts to walk away and say, if that's how he feels, because if we're married 50 years and I've been home raising kids and grandkids, $100,000 in 50 years may not be enough to get me by for more than a couple weeks, days, months.
1: And. And here's the cynical joke that I always tell Pete. I'm sure Randy's heard it before because he's heard every oh, divorce joke. Might is. It, <laughs> uh, uh, it might, might be a new one. Maybe I'll get 20 bucks if it's a new one you haven't heard, right? right? The prenup, once you go to get a divorce, that's just the first offer.
2: Because ah. you can challenge the prenup. Yep, you can. And, and you know, Steph makes a good point. If, I, if my clients agreed to give his soon-to-be ex $1 million, When he comes to me for the divorce, I say, let's offer her 1.1, 1.25, because otherwise she's got nothing to lose. She'll go to court. She'll still get the million, but maybe she gets the prenup thrown out and she gets 10 million. So yes, it's sort of an insurance policy against paying me or Seth a lot of money to fight about how to divide the assets. Because when the client comes to me and to Seth, we're both going to tell our respective sides, chances are payment's going to be $1 million. If we can get you a little more, take it.
1: There you go. So that's, that, that's the takeaway, Pete. Great. If we yeah. can get you a little more, take
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I take it, I'm, well, That's me. I'm not a gambling person. As some people say, I don't care. Speaking of gambling, I'll tell you a quick story. We had jury trials in Georgia and this lady wanted a lot of money and there was a prenup and the prenup was very, very generous to her. And I, I begged her to take the prenup. She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. So we called the jury, picked the jurors. And I, ca- I, added another lawyer to my team from outside my firm to reconfirm the same advice. Finally, here's what she said. She goes, I'll take the deal. I'll take the prenup, but I want an extra $50,000. I said, you're being greedy. You're going to, she said, I'm the client, make the offer, made the offer in the courtroom. The other side came back and said, he'll flip for it. We flipped a quarter for $50,000 and we lost and she was fine with it oh randy I mean, I was, you did not hit
1: the, you did not right before you flipped you didn't say heads i win tails I you tried. lose you know,
2: it hit, come on randy it hit the <laughs> fixture, and i said you know we should do a duo but she was actually okay with it she thought that that was cool and that he was willing to do it, it was sort of gutsy of him and
0: 50, I, I we've talked about a lot of things that are that are out of the realm of my understanding in the last forty five minutes or so. I feel the most out of touch after the coin toss for fifty uh, yeah, thousand dollars. story. It that's was, was dropping the bucket. It was
1: you. You missed the real question, though, Pete. <laughs> yeah, who who kept the quarter?
2: Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> <what> I'm wondering. <laughs> I they, had, they wanted the judge to flip. I said no. I don't want the judge participating in gambling. <laughs> So, yeah you know, right. <laughs> i bet you he still got it but also celebrities i'll tell you if you want another war story too we had a guy who was a hip-hop guy and he's married to a hip-hop woman and we were in court and we left for lunch and um and i usually ask the staff do you want to bring a sandwich or something and there was a bailiff that was with us a sheriff when we came back we forgot to get him something to eat and so my client pulled out a hundred dollar bill and said here you go i'm sorry about that i said you can't do that Ten, for 10 years, every time I saw that sheriff, he's mad. And he's like, Why, why'd you speak You couldn't do that. I said, you can't pay the court employee money, you know, but was he pulled out like one of those, what they call a stack, right? 10, $100 bills just building off to he here. I feel bad.
0: <laughs> My goodness, well, clearly, in all of these stories, uh, Randy Kessler, you are the rock star. Uh, I, I have w- one more pivot, man. You also have, of all the stuff you're doing, it appears you have a bit of a side hustle going on. You want to talk about Star Sona? I would
2: love to for just a minute. So, you know, for years, I've um, represented celebrities, and then I know them, but, and I see them on the basketball court, and I get a hug, but that's about it. And I know when we go to court, they come out of court and people would stop them and they'd do b- selfies. And I thought, you know, there should be an app for that. So I've been working on this uh, app called Bliss Divorce, which is an out-of-court mediation project. that's in California right now. And all these cool engineers and, and internet people work on the team. Uh, I said, you know what? Let me drop this idea on you. I said, I call it the Happy Birthday app. be a thing They loved it. We started it. It was StarSona. It was a couple months after Cameo. We were an app. Cameo was a website. It evolved to become a storefront for stars, especially stars that don't have managers, to go and create their own website where you can get a direct message, you can get a FaceTime, you can get a, a signed football all through the app or through the website, starsona.com, so that you don't have to give away this, the cell phone of the star. Um, and then we merged with a company in Europe that's got a presence in India and South Africa and Germany. And so we are now called My MyFanPark, MyFanPark.com. It's cool. Check it out. You can have Dominic Wilkins wish you a happy birthday. You can get Mario West formerly of the Hawks to come play basketball with you if you live in Atlanta. For $100 bucks, he will play in your yard. You know, you can do fun stuff. It's just a cool thing and I'm making people happy. right? I'm, I'm making the customers, the people that buy them happy. The stars who are former stars now still feel needed and it's been a really cool experience and um, now I know how apps and entrepreneurs feel.
1: We should point out that for a nominal, you know, they, the, the, the athletes or whoever, they, they choose the price to uh-oh. make all this happen, uh-oh, right? Uh-oh, sir. <laughs> because here's what I'm going to say for $25, I will come <laughs> and we will record how to split a toaster <laughs> hey. in your sign living up.
2: room. You're hired. Sign up, go to myfanparks.com and sign it. I'll tell you the stars do get to pick their price. And for a mere $3,500, Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan or, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard. They'll do a video for you if they have the time. A mere $3,500. So, yes, there are the high end. Of-
0: a mere $3,500. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You guys
2: should be on my fan park. Absolutely. You guys are great. I'm sure the people out there that would say, hey, I want you to wish my kid a birthday. I want you to tell my kid what it's like to not just be a lawyer, but to also be a podcaster and how to venture out of your comfort zone. Do it. Why not? So look,
0: you're you're on my fan park. I'm gonna I'm gonna order you to send me a happy yeah. birthday. And I just interviewed you. I'm so excited about <laughs> this I had to
2: be because I had to know how it works to be able to explain to the stars how it works. So I actually gotten a few requests, not many, you know, over the last year or two. Probably got four or five. But um, it's it's a cool little hit of adrenaline when someone says to a star, "Hey, I'm gonna pay you twenty dollars to say happy birthday," because. They come up to them at a basketball game or they come up to them at the grocery store when they see them and they ask them the same thing. But these are people that seek them out and, and, and say, I love you so it's much. Brilliant. I'll pay you to do something for him. Yeah. Great Thanks idea. Me I that. think
0: it's great. It's wonderful. Randy, uh, you're fantastic. Thanks for spending your time uh, with us today for lending your uh, fantastic insights to, uh, to the toaster audience. We sure appreciate you.
2: Thank you. You guys are great. This, uh, this builds my experience and I, I love doing a look forward to meet you guys in person when this is all over and definitely, If uh, Tampa Bay makes it to the Super Bowl and you decide to come to L.A., you got a beer on me. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you, my friend.
0: Thank you, everybody, for downloading to this show. We sure appreciate you, too. On behalf of Randy Kessler and Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships.